tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Kind of like choosing Derek Jeter as the pinch hitter for your baseball team. Jeter, you're in. We need a home run. I'll give it a try. I've swung a bat once or twice. That's out of here. Yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. That's our drop the curtains on joining us today. My name is Aisha Prime. Log on to myjohnline.com. There's more of the news and updates of all the developing stories. My name is Aisha Prime. Happy Nkrumah Memorial Holiday. <laughs> with me the country director for Agra and she's in the person of Juliet. Hi Juliet. Hello. Welcome to Food Chain. Thank you. Okay let's start as, uh, with your personal experience since you came into office as a country director for Agra in Ghana. Thank you very much and thanks for having me on your program. Um, so I have been country manager for Agra for the past two years um, and it's been an exciting experience working on the Agra platform um, towards the agricultural development in Ghana. Uh, of course, it's, uh, it's always challenging having to juggle quite a number of uh, things at the same time. Uh, but given that we are making progress, it's been exciting and challenging at the same time. Mm. So what were some of the challenges you faced as an individual? Well, I would say that um, I joined Agra at a time where we were just beginning to develop a new strategy. And so, uh, as a new person in, on the job, uh, leading the strategy development, continuing ongoing work, handling, uh, handling family, uh, putting it all together, I think that, that works, what makes it challenging. But it's also part of what we do. Um, and so, it makes it, you look at what you are targeting and you, you, you keep moving. Mm. Moving to country head of Agra means is a great feat. It means you have quite an experience in the agric sector. How would you describe Ghana's agric sector so far? Um, I think Ghana's agric sector is one that has, it's on a good trajectory. 
But as we know, we have had our ups and downs. We have had periods where the sector had at some point seen negative growth, um, seen very little growth. Prior to um, 2017, we've had challenges. But in recent years, we have seen improvements. We have seen growth in the sector. Uh, when COVID struck, one of the sectors that held the economy was the agricultural sector. Of course, this happens as a result of different people bringing the policy direction, work that is being done by donors, work that is being done by partners. But the sector is on the right trajectory. Hmm. How do you rate it? How do you score it? Over 100? <laughs> I am unable to score. <laughs> I am unable to score at this point. If you put a I, I, I wouldn't be able to score, but I think it's the first to know that the sector is not doing too badly. Okay. What are some of the initiatives AGA is, is, is you know, doing or taking to help Ghana's agri sector? Thank you. So, as you know, AGRA has been in Ghana since 2007. Indeed, AGRA being a brainchild of... Um, the venerable Kofi Annan. Ghana is one of the countries where we started operations. And so we have been here since 2007, working with the government to support the agenda of an inclusive transformation of Ghana's agriculture. Um, over the period, with investments that have been made, um, perhaps I'll talk about how much I've invested at some point, but we have shifted through phases, looking at initially bringing the structures that will help that transformation to happen. The human capacity, support for training of researchers, uh, plant breeders, so that we have the basics that will drive the process. We have moved on from that point into building systems, um, looking at investing in the seed systems, uh, soil health systems, input systems, market systems, so that all this come together to work towards supporting the agricultural sector. Uh, you realize that you cannot handle agriculture as, um, uh, in, in isolation. Even when you take the smallholder from and put him in the middle, all this, the seed, the soil, the, the, the markets, policy environment needs to work together. So AGRA has been working across all these sectors, providing support for government to develop policies and implement these policies, working with research and private seed producers to make sure that seed High quality seed is available for smallholder farmers, working with private sector actors to ensure that the markets are working for farmers. And then with other partners, so that good agronomic practices reaches farmers, they're able to do the right thing to increase production, increase productivity, such that we can reduce um, food insecurity, increase income for smallholder farmers. Indeed, as Agra, what we seek to do is to take agriculture from that struggle for survival to businesses that thrive. So ultimately, we want to see smallholder farmers move from struggling production activities to working as agribusiness, agripreneurs, even as farmers. And these are the things we have been investing in over the period, leading us into the launch of a new strategy. Uh, that is the phase three of what we're doing in Ghana uh, uh, that we launched very recently in June. And we can give you a bit more details of that. Okay, before I move to the new strategy, I want us to talk about, um, I want you to give me a breakdown of your initiatives in financing, um, international markets, and then climate change. These are the three things that I know that most Ghanaian farmers, you know, struggle with since you are, you, you are trying to move Ghanaian farmers from survival mode to a comfortable mood. <laughs> All right, so um, we have, um, within our inclusive markets and trade pillar of work, we have a unit that is focused on inclusive finance. You are right to say that access to finance is one of the key areas that um, is a struggle in the agricultural sector. Indeed, credit or finance with the agricultural sector still falls around 4%. Um, and even that, the bulk of it does not go to staple crop farmers. So what AGRA has done over the years is to develop programs that can help de-risk the agricultural lending sector. Indeed, AGRA has been the lead in bringing about GESAL, uh, which is helping to make credit 
available to the agricultural sector. We support what we call de-risking activities, blending finance, so that financial institutions are a little bit more comfortable to lend to the agricultural sector. When we do these inclusive finance interventions, we work with different stakeholders to bring in the farmer. Because it is still difficult to say, to ask a financial institution to directly go and lend to a farmer. Of course, they are private businesses, it wouldn't work. So you need to put it in a system that ensures that when that money goes out, it comes back in. And that is where our support has been going over the period. I think it's worth noting that um, Gessau tries to also take these financial institutions onto the field to experience, you know, how these farms or businesses grow. Climate change. Mm. Yeah. So climate change, um, again, that is um, a real struggle that is undermining agricultural development globally and Ghana is not in isolation. And in view of that, one of the pillars of our work currently is sustainable farming. We want to be sure that farmers are able to produce for today profitably whilst preserving the environment for tomorrow. So we, we promote activities such as um, um, integrated self-health management, uh, self-fertility management, so that farmers have options to grow in an area that will not deplete the environment. We also working to be sure that farmers have access to climate resistant, uh, nutrient dense varieties of seeds so that they can be a little bit more resilient in their production activities. These are all backed by education uh, to these farmers so that we are sure that farmers are doing the right thing, but they are also um, less vulnerable to the shocks of climate change. At the point where we are as a people, we have to look at adaptation to climate change because it is here and it's hitting us. What can we do so that our farmers, when they grow their crops, they can still harvest? That's where the right seed, the right farming practices come in and those are things that we support. International markets. Mm. I mean, uh, someone may say that we can't even produce to feed ourselves, how much more exports? But then again, uh, if we look at the poultry sector, they had issues because people were buying directly poultry. I mean, maize and soya, people were buying, the foreigners were buying directly from the farmers. How is um, Agra playing along this value chain? Okay, so like you rightly said, there is the bit of making sure that we are able to produce to feed ourselves, first and foremost. Um, so the bulk of our focus is to ensure that Ghanaian farmers are able to produce quality, affordable, nutritious food to feed Ghana. Then there is also the issue of the high imports of food. Take for instance, we're able to produce only about 40, barely 50% of our rice, um, rice requirements, which brings a high import demand on the country. So we are very focused at making sure that we increase production productivity for the staples and things that we eat. But definitely, we also know that there must be opportunities for trade. Um, Ghana hosts the AFCTA. Um, in, in Agra, we have a unit that is focused on regional trade. And some of the things we do within that unit to create opportunities for farmers on the continent, including Ghana, to participate in trade is to focus on things like domesticating uh, the regional frameworks on trade, um, training farmers and in areas of post-harvest management, post-harvest handling. Um, we're looking at things like trade facilitation. You're looking at grace and standards because if you don't have the right standards, you'll not be able to assess the international market. Indeed, there's quite a lot of information that is not available to, to producers uh, and traders on international trade, the requirements. And so you, you could produce and you want to sell outside of your country, you're not able to sell because of the requirements, the um, PSP requirements that restrict access. So from our regional trade perspective, we work with stakeholders, private sector, to unlock some of these trade opportunities, even as we are supporting domestic production. 
Okay. Now let's talk about a new strategy. And and a little bit about how it affects women or female farmers. Right. So um, our new strategy in Ghana is um, we are looking to unlock productivity and trade through a competitive agro-processing industry. As Agra, we have come to the point, as everybody else, to say that we need to look at agriculture from a food systems perspective. We need to look at the entire food system and make sure that the food system is delivering for the country. And so in Ghana, there is this level of misalignment between production and market and value addition. So whilst could be going up, indeed, we, we are sufficient in the production of most of our staples, except say rice and a few others. Production is increasing, productivity is not increasing as fast. So we still have yield gaps of about 50% for most of our produce. Now, productivity is not going as high because there is still gaps in adoption of technology. And why are farmers not adopting the right technology? Because the right market incentives are not being transmitted to them. So we seek to support the end of the market and value addition so that we can drive production so that farmers are incentivized to adopt the right technologies. That is the crux of what we are looking at. But again, as I mentioned, you need to do this from the various systems perspective. So one of the key things we are working at is working with governments to develop an enabling environment that can ensure that the food system uh, is creating space for private sector to thrive and farmers to produce. That is one. We are also working to be sure that um, SMEs in the agriculture sector become more competitive so that they can create value for the farmer. We are looking to be sure that the, the supply chains are again are more resilient. You mentioned, we mentioned about climate change. So the supply chains need to become more resilient, not only in terms of productivity, but also resilient to shocks including climate change. That is another aspect of our strategy. And then there is a key aspect of it, which ties into what you asked. We want to be sure that we, are, we have a higher involvement of women and youth, indeed young women and youth, in the agricultural development agenda. So that is the key objective for our intervention. There are things we've been doing already to bring women into the, into the frame. For instance, we have the Value for Hair platform, uh, AGRA, which focuses on um, agri-SMEs, providing a platform for women to engage, building capacity, B2B platform for women enterprises. Um, that has been going on, and we're expanding that and bringing it to country level to, to, to give people more opportunity, more women opportunity. Um, and when it talks about the youth, we have, for instance, our Go-Getters platform that gives chance for young people to just get into the system. So we are, for instance, looking at in this new strategy, as we focus on young people, young men and young women, we are setting ourselves a very ambitious target of reaching at least 50% to 70% women in whatever we are working with the youth. That is an ambitious target we've set to ourselves and we are looking to deliver on that. Hmm. Agra is doing a lot in, in Ghana's agri space. How much have you invested so far? So, so far, since um, 2007, we've invested a little over $60 million. And um, we're looking to invest not less, than, um, not less than $26 million in the new strategy. That's, that's, that's some money. <laughs> some good money. <laughs> Still uh, money. I yeah. mean, let me be a little controversial. Let's talk about the planting for food and jobs. Mm -hmm. we, we know that over the past six years before the halt of the first phase, a lot was invested into that program. What is your general assessment of the program? Well, um, I wouldn't be able to give my assessment of the program. Um, what we do as AGRA is to provide support for government to make sure that policies are well-crafted, well-delivered. And so part of that well-delivered strategy of policies means that we could help in carrying out assessments. Uh, we have been supporting institutions that are 
assessing the planting for food and jobs. Um, whatever the outcomes are, we will be able to take it then and move it forward because we need to be objective about this. Mm. So we can't just make, you know, sweeping judgments at this point. Okay. So if you will give me your assessment on the program, give me your assessment on the policy, do you think it was well structured to begin with? I think the intentions were very good. Um, I must admit that there might have been challenges with delivery. There are various aspects of the planting for food and jobs. Um, indeed, there was supposed to be a linkage to market component of it. I'm not too sure if that bit got the right attention and went well enough. I am not too sure. But the intentions were great. Um, a lot of people have come on board. Indeed, we can clearly see that there has been an increase in production, at least of maize, um, since the planting for food and jobs came on board. So those are positive signs we have seen. Uh, it's left, some, some assessments have already given indication that um, the whole investment is not, at least it's breaking even. We just need to move forward and see how it will go. Thankfully, as you have mentioned, it is being reviewed. Uh, a life not reviewed is not worth living. So it's good that it's being reviewed and some changes will be made which will improve it better. Mm. And we are ready to support government to improve it. Okay, so again, as a policy expert, going forward, the new phase, what, what, what do you think will be your recommendations? Mm. So, Looking at the new face, and again, you, you probably would know that the documents are not out there yet yes. in the public. Uh, and so even though there has been some level of consultation, we do not have the full picture yet. We do know that there is a focus on input credits rather than input subsidy, which is good. We would want to see how it is structured. We would want to be sure that it does not give an overexposure to any single player in the value chain because if that happens when that chain that portion of the chain breaks the whole system breaks down so that is what we want to see even as this goes um, initial observations looks at the fact that it seems a little bit ambitious um, we have to taper down some of those ambitions but ultimately we would need to see the details so that we can give advice. Indeed, we are in conversation, Agra is in conversation with the Minister of Food and Agriculture to, to actually craft out. Sebastian Gorka here. I'm living a very blessed life as an intelligence analyst, a national talk show host and author, and I have an amazing family. But like many of us, aches and pains start to interfere with living my best life, even just walking the dog. But I found Relief Factor three years ago, a 100% drug-free solution for aches and pains, and now I'm pain-free and I have my life back. I take Relief Factor every day. Relief Factor can help your body fight the inflammation that causes joint and muscle pain and other aches and pains that come with everyday life. Treat yourself to feeling better, move more, live more, and just enjoy your life more with Relief Factor. Join me and more than half a million other Americans. Get started today with your three-week quick starter pack for just $19.95. Almost 70% of those who order go on to use it more. ReliefFactor.com. That's ReliefFactor.com. Feel the difference with Relief Factor policy support for the delivery of planting for food and jobs and we're going to do that directly to the to the ministry okay talking of uh, monitoring and funds i want to find out as an institution how you uh, ensure proper utilization of it, the funds allocated for various programs uh, you mean within agra yes please okay so um we agra has a basket of um, donors and funders that support the work we do. We have the PIATA Partners, Partnership for Inclusive Agriculture Transformation in Africa, that is PIATA, uh, which is a group of donors including uh, USAID, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, uh, BMZ, a number of people that come together. These are people who have very strict 
uh, compliance requirements that you cannot take their money and just spend and and spend <laughs> so agra is an organization that is very strict on compliance because our donors are strict now we do sub awards we take donors money and we invest that in countries and by investing that in country we invest in governments we invest in civil society we invest in other people we translate this strict compliance to our partners so that because ultimately we are held accountable and so we must hold our partners also accountable we haven't had and we have regular our monitoring our audit systems as regular as internal audits are as rigorous as having external audits we have in-house internal audits that audits country programs partners regularly so and we haven't had the chance where our donors have said you have misapplied our funds because we have kept our eyes on the ball over the years mm. maybe the government of ghana should take a cue <laughs> okay, one thing of interest is also food inflation. Yeah. It has consistently contributed to the general inflation and it contributed not meagerly, yeah. very highly. So what could be the gap? What, because I mean on the ground most of the farmers say they, they are producing a lot. What's happening? Mm. Thank you. And that is a critical question. Um, because we talk about food security in Ghana and we, we, we compare ourselves to the sub-region or in Africa we see Ghana is not doing badly and truly Ghana is not doing badly. But then um, the issue of food price, increasing cost of food, indeed increasing cost of healthy food. The data tells us right now that only about 30, 34, 36% of Ghanaians can afford healthy diets. That definitely is not good enough. And the recent World Bank report came out says that Ghana food prices in Ghana is highest in the region that is undermining food security what is happening again there is a mix of things one of them is the high cost of production um, input costs have been on the rise uh, you know the disruptions in the supply chains that came on the back of the COVID and then following on that, the Ukraine-Russia war. These disruptions have affected inputs, particularly in organic fertilizer. And then there are in-country challenges with movements of food, the distribution channels. The, if I, the dislocations in the entire system, it's making it so difficult for the food that is produced, even as the cost of production is going up, rising at that end it's being transmitted and in, in 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 what geometric proportions because of the cost of getting the food to the market centers the roads are bad the infrastructure is not there we don't have um, um basic infrastructure to take food across processing storage transportation these things are not adequately in place one of the highest contributors of food price in ghana is cost of transportation and part of it is because the roads are just so bad <laughs> And so until we fix some of these things, that's why we are looking at the food system, that holistic approach of looking at the food system, bring all sectors on board so that people can do their bit. Otherwise, the farmers will continue to produce and will continue to suffer in Accra because prices are so high. Does that mean uh, food security is at risk? Uh, I dare say that food security is at risk. Like you rightly said, the um, hike in inflation in Ghana has in recent times, it didn't used to be like that, it has in recent times been driven by food inflation. Where we saw the dip, um, I think two months ago, the inflation, everybody wanted to give a sigh of relief. And then when it went up, what drove it? Food prices. So absolutely, our food security is at risk. And again, even the quality of food, like I mentioned, access to healthy diets, if only 34% of Ghanaians can assess it, it's a challenge. Sometimes we don't look at it in that whole, we just say, oh, we are producing 3 million tons of maize, but food is beyond maize. So we need to do, we need to work at it. So when do we have a lifeline? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the lifeline, thankfully, because it's a line, it's a continuing activity. So all the things we are doing now, um, 
including commitments, for instance, that Agra is making into supporting the transformation of the food system and working with others, I believe that we have the line. We are pretty much committed to working with government because, you know, the neighboring environment is so critical. So we are pretty much committed to working with government to have the right policies in place, delivering those policies, monitoring those policies, but working with others. So we can work at it. We cannot put um, timelines to it, um, but we are, for us as Agra, we, 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 are look, we have set sights that by the time we finish delivering our current strategy, at least 1.2 million farmers would have graduated from um, subsistence farming to more market-oriented, diversified farming systems. That will go some way to support what we are doing with everything else that is happening. Hmm. Do you think there's a future for Ghana's agri-sector? Absolutely, I have no doubt. Mm. There is a future for the agricultural sector. We just need to um, get the young people in by bringing, making sure that technology comes to play. We reduce the drudgery that is involved in agriculture. We make agriculture more profitable. If people, if there is money in agriculture, the young people will be there. No young person wants to go and do the kind of thing that is happening now. People go to hoe and cutlass, even if they are spraying, polluting the environment, and they are not making any money. If we can, if we can get the young people into agriculture, reducing drudgery, making sure that it's profitable, using technology, making sure the systems, it is less vulnerable to the shocks, we can bring them in. And when we bring them in, the sector has a huge future. Any recommendations? I think I've just mentioned a few of them. Uh, of last words? <laughs> well, the, 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 um, I, I think that we do have a lot of work to do uh, to develop Ghana's agriculture. Um, policy coherence, inter-ministerial, inter-agency collaboration and coordination is important. Ministries need to be talking to each other because agriculture cuts across various ministries. They need to be talking to each other. We need to have policies that are consistent and coherent. And we need to be sure that we are delivering on those policies on the ground, not just making the policies, but making sure they are being delivered adequately. If we do that, we hold the other parts of the value chains. We look at agriculture in the view of the food, food system, we would be able to make progress. Thank you very much, Juliet, for Thank making you. time on Food Chain and bringing your expert, you know, advice and input into the value chain. That's it for today's episode of Food Chain. Today we talked about a wide range of issues with the country director for Agra, Juliet. Thank you for staying with me on Food Chain today. My name is Emma Davis. See you same time next week.
Hello viewers, welcome once again to Home Tips with Mira. In today's episode, we are looking at methods of controlling pests in your garden organically. You know, with gardening experience, it brings so much joy. But, you know, there's a downside of it where you visit your garden and you realize that pests have invaded your garden. Oh my goodness. Pests like aphids, fruit flies, moth and what have you. So today we are looking at some, you know, home remedies, things that you can use, common things that you can use at home in order to get yourself a pesticide so that you can use in your garden to fight this pest that destroy the fruits and the plants in our garden. The first method which I want to show you is the use of cloves. I've used it before and it is very effective. Cloves with liquid soap or our usual alasasamina mix it with water and use it to spray on your plant it usually works best against um, soft-bodied uh, pests so like the white flies it works against them so what i did is that i crushed the cloves in my mortar and pestle and then i soaked the crushed cloves in my career oil which is the coconut oil i'm now going to put it in a bottle and then i'll add the career oil I kept it aside in the sun for about two weeks. So from time to time, I just pour a, a tablespoonful of the clove oil and then I add my tablespoonful of liquid soap so that I can get a uniform mixture. And I'll add water, about 300 ml. And then I spray on my plants from time to time. Please remember to sieve the mixture because the cloves contain particles and you don't want the particles to choke your spray bottle or your pump. Now I have to transfer it into my spray bottle. And I'm using this small bottle because I'm just spraying this on my citrus plants. But if you have like a, a garden, that you know has been infested you can use a pump the bigger pump so look at the aphids behind the leaves this is what they do they hide there and they suck out the nutrients from the leaves so if you are working with organic pesticide and you spray on the plants be it pepper plant or any other plant make sure that while spraying on top of the leaves you also get access to the under parts of the leaves so that you can spray and get rid of all the aphids it is ideal to spray in the evening so when you spray in the evening check to see if it is okay if it is okay then you can repeat and then spread it in your garden but just use one plant as a, a guinea pig and check how it reacts apart from spraying with this organic insecticide when you see that your tree is infested one sure way of battling with this pest is also to prune your trees after pruning then you can um, spray this organic insecticide on it and don't just do it once and think that it is going to solve the problem this one is not so strong like the um, artificial pesticides that are sold on the market but it works very well the only thing that you have to do is that keep at it and keep doing it from like let's say every three days you spray on your plants and you know when you do it for a very long period of time you are sure that you'll be able to combat this pest in your garden and remember that this one is very safe so you can spray it on your vegetables or your fruits as well this is the neem leaves in fact, it contains one of the strongest uh, repellent compounds. So when you use it in your garden as an organic pesticide, it works so effectively. And there are different methods of using the neem. So I'm using the leaves. You can also use the neem seeds. When the oils are extracted from the neem seeds, it can also be used. And I'm just going to take you through the process of using the neem as uh, an organic pesticide to fight pests in your garden. Now we are going to pound our neem leaves. I'm going to pound it. And then I'll put the pounded mixture in coconut oil and I'm going to do the double boiling method so I'll put it in a pan with water I'll put the oil there and then I'll let the water in the pan boil the oil and then we'll get 
are neem oil like i said earlier the oil can also be extracted from the seed so you can use this one or the oil that has been extracted from the seed just make sure that the level of the water is not so much that when it boils it can enter into the oil just keep the water at the base of the pan so that it doesn't enter into the oil and we'll have a gentle fuse of the ingredients from the neem leaves into the coconut oil and then we have our neem oil for use the neem oil is ready now so i'm going to sieve it so for this solution i used chili pepper and my liquid soap which is alatasamina in fact when you use alatasamina or any liquid soap in this solution what it does is that it breaks down the nervous system of those insects it, it distorts their breathing pattern thereby they will be unable to feed very well and then i also use my neem oil extract so i use one tablespoonful of the neem oil and then i use one tablespoonful of the liquid soap my alatasamina and then I use two tablespoonful of my pepper. You can either use the fresh cayenne pepper or the powdered one. And please, if you are using the powdered one, make sure you sieve it because it contains particles and you don't want those particles to block your spray can. So you mix everything together, you get your solution. And like I always say, test it on one plant and see if it will react well. If it doesn't cause any harm to the leaves, then you can go ahead and spray in your garden. And there are some best practices to keep in order to also try and avoid pests in your garden. Try and get disease resistant seedlings, try and do crop rotation. And when you are planting your crops, please ensure that you space them. And when you realize that one plant is infested, what you can also do is that try as much as possible to get rid of that plant and destroy it completely so that it doesn't affect the remaining plants. In your garden, there are natural enemies. We have the ladybug. They try to feed on these aphids, white flies, and all that. There's also the spider. So when you use this kind of organic pesticides in your garden, it doesn't really harm the natural enemies to this uh, insect in your garden that destroys your plant. So try as much as possible and do any of these methods that I have shown and apply it in your garden for a safe garden practice. Thank you so much for watching. Please, you can visit my YouTube page for extended version of this video. This is all time will allow us to share. Thank you so much for watching and stay positive. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the 77% with me, Liz Show. I was away for a while, but now I'm back and I'm thrilled to be your host today. Coming up on the show, in our street debate, Edith Kimani asks young people about the state of women's rights in Rwanda. We meet Barbara Nasserian, one of the first female tour guides in Kenya's famous Masai Mara National Reserve. And we take off with Uganda's youngest pilot, Graham Shema. This week, I read a pretty shocking statistic. Less than 1% of women and girls globally live in a country with high women empowerment and high gender equality. Less than 1%. That's according to the UN Development Program. Well, one country where women at least appear to have advanced in terms of getting equal rights as men and holding high leadership positions is Rwanda. But what does that achievement mean, especially given that most power still lies within the hands of one man, President Paul Kagame? Edith Kimani went searching for answers in this week's street debate. Hello 
and welcome back to the 77%. This week, we are in Kigali, Rwanda, also known as the land of a thousand hills. More recently, it's come to be known as the best place for women in politics. And that's because over 60% of parliamentarians here are women. That's compared to just over 20% globally. So you can see what the big deal is. But we're here to investigate if there's a trickle-down effect. How do the women in this country feel about that? Has there been any change? And what can we, as the rest of the globe, learn from this country? Who else to help me answer those questions? But some Rwandans, and today we're going to begin with a member of parliament. Just give us a, a, a talk back in history. How did we get here? How did we get there? It all started by political will mm -hmm. to change things. You know, our country is marked with a dark history of genocide against Tutsi, where millions of population were killed because they were Tutsi. So when the genocide was stopped, uh, big measures were taken to transform the country. So it started by eradicating in a country whatever discrimination exists. Mm -hmm. uh, so just for the benefit of our audience who's global, the genocide against the Tutsis left a big part of the population unfortunately murdered and nearly 60 to 70 percent of the remaining population were women, right? So before that, what was the state of affairs for women in this country? How was it like? Yeah, so first of all, women couldn't own land. They couldn't inherit it. So if, suppose there was a widow and her daughters, none of them could own land, even when they owned it before, uh, when their father was still there. Also, you needed a written permission or consent by your husband to get a job or to open a bank account. Excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> That's how far we, we were. So on the land issue, in 2019, uh, uh, surprisingly, more women owned land than men. Wow, so there's been a radical shift, you would say, since then. How would you describe the state of affairs for you guys? When I was younger, there were less women driving cars. I remember when I was young, I used to count three. There were three women. I remember the colors of their cars. <laughs> so I used to clap whenever they would pass by. And now you can't. Yeah. It's too many. It's, you, 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 you would spend the whole day. Okay, Moses, uh, speak to me about it. I think that um, it's true. But also also, let's not forget that part of the reason why there was a political will to give rights and equality for women in this country is because women are fundamentally the right population or demographic if you want to do peace and reconciliation. Sure. And it has been proven if we wanted, especially after the genocide, women have contributed 60% of what conversation and building this country the way it is. I want to know, you know, if you were raised in this country by, say, men who enjoyed a patriarchal system, how are you different from, say, your father's generation or your uncles? Uh, I think we're raised from in the situation where our mothers are everything. Our big sisters were like our mothers and our mothers were like uh, our fathers. Yeah. So they are everything to us. We're against with anything which put them behind. Mm. So, so you're definitely new mind, new thinking, yeah. new generation. Okay, Aisha here from YWCA. You were snapping. Yeah, it is sounding like if we have arrived mm -hmm. while we are still on our way. And going back in rural area, you might find still women there who doesn't know what we are saying here in Kigali. And a simple example, there is a, a higher level of teenage pregnancy in Rwanda now and one of the issues you might see it's because of men they don't understand gender equality they don't see the effect or impact of impregnate someone while for them the life will goes on uh, and I wanted to add that congratulations Rwanda for 61% uh, because representation is very important for young girls who are growing up to know that they can make it into those rooms. However, it's very important to also question exactly which is the topic of today. What does actually those numbers represent? Uh -huh. And what are the women in those seats actually doing? Because we usually misunderstand numbers because you think if a woman is in the position, they represent women. But because... Uh, well, which is not because just I'm a woman it's like if you see a woman who's leading a certain company it does not mean that everything the decisions they're making they're making them for the sense of women mm -hmm. uh, let me, oh, okay there was a question directed to you right which is there are the women in those seats which is yourself but what are you doing for the women seven years ago I was like my sisters questioning MPs what are you coming to do what are you doing for us? But that space 
of talking to them, of showing me you have opportunities. Grab them, use them. I grabbed it. Now I'm sitting with them, telling them. I know in 2013, you enacted a law giving land rights to women. But we are seeing men owning land behind women's back. What can we do? Then, 2021, we amended that same law because there were gaps. You see, uh, I'm saying it because to say women empowerment and women equality, it's a progress. You know, today you may achieve this, but tomorrow you find there is a gap. So, Delise, Delise works for Resonate or with Resonate, which is uh, an organization that helps deal with these challenges that we're talking about. Yes. Do the women believe that they belong in these positions? And not just the members of parliament, but like CEOs, directors, uh, do they own that? That's what I was about to say. Mm. The quotas that we have, so we'll have 30% of women in whatever position you're supposed to be in, yes. But because we grew up in a patriarchal um, society where everybody tells you you don't deserve to be there mm -hmm. or you don't have anybody who looks like you there so you are in a room we were talking about this earlier we are, you are in a room you're just one woman 30 men what can you say mm -hmm. and everybody will go oh you're just a woman so i think in addition to the policies the child strategies the everything we're doing we need to get the women to have that click in the mind that goes yeah i actually deserve here this i need some solutions now how do we close the gaps that exist aisha uh, I would say, first of all, we need women and girls' empowerment in their mindsets, socially, economically, politically. We need to empower girls and feel confident about it. Second, we need men engagement. We need to be at the same level of understanding. Like what I understand is what they understand. Mm -hmm. If I feel like I can be a businesswoman, a man should understand it the same way, not feeling that I was given. Mm. Actually, I wasn't given. I deserve it. Okay, fantastic. And finally, because we started with you, I'd like to wrap up this conversation with you. At the beginning, we asked if you feel there's a trickle-down effect. Obviously, from your work, you have an idea. But based on this conversation, what do you think could be done more? We still have a long way to go. It's a continuous work. We know that women do as double as so many and so much unpaid care work. Yeah. Are we having structures in, uh, in place helping them? Do we have a place where they can put children so they can focus on the work at home? Yeah. So what we have to do is to continue implementing those amazing policies. Yeah. Also on their side, are you think the maximum opportunity we have as women? So this is to them, grab it, okay. hold it, and move Rwanda okay. to the next stage. <laughs> I could not think of a better place to wrap up this debate. In Kiswahili, we say kidogo kidogo hujaza kibaba. Little by little, you fill the entire space. And I think that's the message that we've heard here today. There's steps that's been taken. There's more to go. But let's not forget that good work has been done. Thank you all for being here. And thank you for watching. <laughs>
Here we have a life edge slab gotten from a client who brought it over to the workshop for us to help salvage it. So we're trying to see if this wood can be brought back alive. Wood carving is an integral form of expressing culture and traditions in Nigeria and dates back to the 12th century. However, one of the major challenges artists go through is that of sourcing for materials. I use hard woods. I source them locally in Nigeria. All these woods are from different species of trees. This is gotten from a mango slab. So here we have a wine rack. It is a gear worn by the ancient hunters. Yeah, my reception deck is made of walnuts. So here I have a chair made up from um, Maogani. Yeah, it's a rocking chair, most likely used by elderly people. So I love to encourage um, furniture pieces for the older ones. Women in business face challenges and can sometimes throw in the towel out of frustration. But Elizabeth has proven herself. Like the old saying goes, what a man can do, a woman can do better. My advice for young women aspiring to go into a male-dominated fields like mine would be that they should be resilient, they should be very hardworking, I remember when I started, I would have laid back, would I say, but I just kept pushing, even when I had no customers. And the first client I had uh, paved the way for me because he enabled me to um, showcase my talent. With her eye-catching designs, Elizabeth is not just an inspiration to women, but an inspiration for anyone who is determined to make it in Nigeria. Elizabeth Awodu, very impressive. Our next report is from Kenya, from the Masai Mara National Reserve, to be precise. And there we want to present you another woman breaking free from what society expects her role to be. And in case you haven't noticed, we are all about gender equality and women empowerment today. At the Embu River Camp in the heart of Kenya's Masai Mara, Barbara Nasarian is overcoming gender barriers by being one of the first female tour guides in the park. The 22-year-old's life choices defy her Maasai community's strict patriarchal norms. I receive a lot of resistance from um, first my dad because you know he was actually the topmost of the people or of the male that I'm supposed to respect. Then again from my brothers and then now the entire uh, old male actually. At the age of nine, her father wanted to marry her off for a dowry, but she refused. She eventually fled to a rescue center. The woman in the Maasai community is viewed as a trade uh, thing because, you know, when a woman is born, a baby girl is born in the, uh, at, uh, at home, the f dad is happy because he knows, of course, he's seeing cows. So, you know, uh, for us, there is bread price that is being paid and when that is paid it is an exchange of the girl with cows so for you when you really grow at an age of about nine to twelve that's when now another person can come and talk to your dad with no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees banking with capital one is the easiest decision in the history of decisions Kind of like choosing Derek Jeter as the pinch hitter for your baseball team. Jeter, you're in. We need a home run. I'll give it a try. I've swung a bat once or twice. That's out of here. Yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. And then, of course, you can be married off. Nasarian grew up in Narok, west of Nairobi, just a few kilometers away from the Masai Mara National Park. She used to herd livestock and often encountered wildlife. That's where her passion began. I saw that guiding field was a male-dominated field, and as per what I went through, actually, I really wanted to show my strength, and all that I thought was for going for something extraordinary that really... It's a bit of a challenge for, not really a challenge, but a lot of people really still have that perspective that it's just for males. Women leading the charge in the tourism industry is not a common sight in Kenya. 
overcoming challenges and prejudice, these women at Embro River are trailblazers, and they're turning heads in the heart of the Masai Mara. Over 50% of their employees are female. Together, they're working to change the narrative about the role of women in the Ma community. I'm a civilian. Is such a hard worker. She's actually currently the head of department, and she has a team of male. And he, she's able to manage their plans, and she's able to lead them uh, in a way that they respect them. Uh, considering that most of her team members are from the Maasai community, which at some time they did not regard the women empowerment and uh, women in leadership positions, but she's able to turn this around and be able to be a voice for women in Maasai Mara. But Nasserian's courage to break cultural norms has also come with its fair share of challenges. Her life choices were not well received by her family, at least at first. But she has gradually shifted the perception of her community. Um, my dad really now is a happy dad, and he is now supporting fully what I do, and he is even encouraging more ladies actually out to do whatever I'm doing. And for now, actually, my younger sisters don't really have that um, hard time of going to school. In fact, now it is forcing them. If you don't really want to go to school, you will have to go, because now he's really seeing that value in a woman. So it has really changed his perspective completely. Nasserian continues to grow in her journey as a guide. She plans to keep pushing boundaries and changing norms by inspiring the next generation of women. Now, your gender may not be the only thing people may use to judge you and your capabilities. Age can also be a factor. But Graham Shema from Uganda is proof that we should never underestimate or exclude people from certain professions just because we think they are too young. Graham is just 10 years old and already a pilot. His story is unbelievable, and we had the chance to be exclusively on board for his first flight as captain. Hello, my name is Graham Shaba. I'm 10 years old. I'm the youngest pilot in the world and the founder of Aviation Advice Magazine for Kids. I like being in the air. It, it just feels like I'm a mighty man. This is something that I use. I just went to YouTube and searched um, how airplanes work. Everything was in one video. Then I searched them separately. And yeah, uh, the hardest I would say is the cockpit. You know, the cockpit is one place. So it was very hard to le learn because I'd say, you, you need to know this and this, that, how it lands, how it takes off, all of that. The easy parts were the outside of the plane, the rats, APU, the wings, the rudders, the elevators. The first time, it was quite scary because the time I was still six, uh, they couldn't let me touch the controls because they know I would be, I was a little, not a little playful, but a little playful. So now I'm serious. Along with many uh, kids, you know, who are excited about flying, but uh, none who is as intentional as he has been or he is, you know. He, he wants it. He knows what he's into. He knows what he's coming for. And the rest are coming for a joyride, you know. And he knows what he's doing. He knows the controls. He knows the flying. He knows the areas. He knows when he's making a turn, you know. I would say, dream big and, and you can make it. So, don't turn yourself down. If you turn yourself down, it's actually, it's actually affecting you, not anyone else, but you. Dear parents, believe in your children. Never put them down, never say you can't do this. Never say that you're a girl, 
that you can do this, you can make it, you can be a pilot. But you need to support your children, not put them down. I would like to be the first Ugandan to go in space and touch the moon. <laughs> wow, to me, this is the best story of the week. And if Graham should ever fly long distance, I can recommend a beautiful city in Nigeria as his destination, Ile Ife. It's located in the southwestern part of the country, and we're lucky to have traditional music artist Queen Sheba to show us her favorite spots in the city rich in culture and history. Hello, my name is Queen Sheba, coming to you all the way from southwest Nigeria. You are watching DW77%, and I'm here to take you on a tour of my city, Ileife, Ekabo Si Ileife. Today is a special day. It is Nkrumah Memorial Day, or what some of us would recognize in the past as Founders Day with an apostrophe S, and some of us are unrepentant uh, in sticking to that. We're here in North Jowulu commemorating this special day by having the 2023 Ba Redu memorial lecture for all of you watching us live on joy news television we're grateful we're also going to be live on joy 99.7 fm just to give a bit of a premise before we start we kickstart the event with our lecture for today this series of lectures in memory of kojo baredu was instituted in the year 2014 to recognize and immortalize the life and work Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 